Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Shares for beginners. NAPTRADE says in Australia, millennials will inherit around $3.5 trillion from baby boomers over the next 20 years. And then, of course, when we look at millennials coming into investment, it's also important to understand, well, what is important to millennials? And Morgan Stanley says that 86% of millennials are interested in sustainable investing and twice as likely as the overall population to invest in companies targeting ESG goals. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. The world is approaching the largest transfer of intergenerational wealth in history. By 2050, people who are now under 40 will be managing this accumulated wealth. Joining me today is Lelda Smits from the Capital Network Media and Investor Relations Agency. G'day, Lelda. Hello. Hello. Lelda, you're a director of the Australian Shareholders Association and co-founder of the Capital Network. You've been ranked as one of Australia's top 100 entrepreneurs, and you've reported breaking news from thousands of listed companies and interviewed hundreds of executives and investors from around the world. Is there anything else that you haven't done? <laughs> I've actually left stuff out of your CV because there's just too much there. A lot to do, but a lot still more that I want to do as well. Yeah, and that's great. So tell us about the path that originally led you to finance journalism. Well, it was a completely unexpected path. I can say that at heart, I'm a very idealistic person and really believe in truth and equality and wanted to do something with my life that aligned with those values. So I did my undergraduate studies at Adelaide Uni studying media and anthropology, moved to Sydney to do my master's in journalism and was a very poor student when I was looking at job ads one day on Seek and saw an ad for a broadcast finance journalist. And I always remember that moment because at that moment, I was actually neither of those things, certainly not with the experience that I asked for. But I was exceptionally passionate about journalism. I applied. I told my future boss all of the reasons that I would love to work for him and would love to be a broadcast finance journalist. And he bought it. And that started a journey for me that was completely fueled by passion, as I think many journalists are, to then go on and work not only in Australia, but inside the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ as a foreign correspondent. One minute here, you're getting a job here in Sydney. Where was that uh, job? That job was at Finance News Network, so an online provider of finance news. Mm -hmm. They were one of the original providers of online finance news. And I remember my boss telling me that when he started, people were using dial-up internet, so they couldn't really even access a lot of the finance videos. And now, of course, we just take this for granted. But he was very innovative. And I think the company was aiming to connect people to finance news in a way that hadn't been done before. And it really gave me the platform to go to where I have now. Yeah. And then what took you to Wall Street? 
I was every day reporting, of course, on waking up at uh, 5am. I used to wake up and at 6am I would get to work and look at what Wall Street had done overnight. Mm. And according to Wall Street leads, the Australian share market is poised to open higher or lower or a flat start. And I would just think about Wall Street, obviously, every day because I was writing about it every day, wondering what is this place, what happens there. To me, it was almost like the moon, this magical place that I'd never visited but speak about every day. So it became an obsession to get there. And It was um, kind of like the Xanadu of finance for you, was it? Absolutely. It was like this mission. I had to get to this place that I speak of but don't know of really. And I, of course, applied for leave. I booked a holiday to the US and I only had 48 hours in New York because my holidays were very short as well. And just before I left, I told my boss, it's my dream to go to Wall Street and I just want to stand there. And he said to me, literally the day before I left, while you're there, you should get in touch with a guy I know. He owns a media firm inside the New York Stock Exchange. And long story short, I met that man and given a few other people that I met, a few years later I was working inside the New York Stock Exchange as a result of that initial introduction. So what era was that? Era around... What was the market cycle at the time? Oh, yes, that's a good question. I also remember political era because I was working on Wall Street in 2015, which is when Trump announced that he was going to run for president and no one believed him. (laughs) So I remember clearly walking to work and uh, walking in the news agencies or having the local paper given out and every day saying, who is this person who thinks that he will be president? Um, And the Trump Tower is very close to Wall Street, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of Trump around New York in general. And in fact, when I was there, I even asked him for an interview and I got as close to him as his media advisor, Hope Hicks at the time, who politely declined in a very, very lovely way and said, Mr. Trump is very busy at the moment. (laughs) But it, it was a great and interesting time to be there. And of course, an incredible life and professional experience. I always like to give listeners insight into how the world of markets work. And a big part of markets is investor relations and your company works with investor relations. What is investor relations? Uh, So investor relations, I would say, is a lot of the time firstly misunderstood for being something like public relations. So according to Investopedia, investor relations or IR is a division of a business such as a public company whose job it is to provide investors with accurate information of company affairs, uh, which then in turn really helps private and institutional investors make informed decisions on whether to invest in a company. So another way to simply look at this would be to look at investor relations as the link between companies and investors. And when people are looking for a real-time example of investor relations, I often give the example of Coca-Cola. So if I was to ask you, where do you see Coca-Cola's public relations? You would be able to give me a million examples. You would see Coca-Cola on billboards, in magazines, on radio ads, television ads, Super Bowl ads. Coca-Cola's brand placement 
from the public relations department is very strong because they are asking their consumers to buy drinks, whereas Coca-Cola's investor relations would have completely different strategies using perhaps even the marketing that Coca-Cola generates, but really repurposing that to an investor audience to inform them of the investment behind Coca-Cola to sell the stock as opposed to selling the drink. And a lot of it's a legal requirement, isn't it? In Australia, ASIC requires companies to really keep investors informed about anything that will be affecting the price of that particular share. Absolutely. So in Australia, certainly in America as well, companies have very strict legal requirements how they have to communicate. And so part of the investor relations department or professional is to ensure that all compliance and regulation is met and that a company can maintain all of its, in Australia, we say continuous disclosure obligations, informing the market, while also simply communicating who they are as well. So unlike a lawyer who may advise a company just to release legal information, an investor relations professional may say, well, let's look at this legal information and let's talk about how we can explain this simply so that more investors can understand the information in a more simple way. And it's a big part of a role for a CEO, to be selling the story of the company as well. And this is going to be a very different role from an ASX 200 big listed company to something at the very small end of the market as well. And selling this story or telling the story is an important role for CEOs to undertake, isn't it? Absolutely. Whoever you are and whatever you do, the way that you communicate what you do is vital. And The difference you spoke about between large and small companies is also one to note because it changes a lot with investor relations, how they may deal with that. It's a completely different dynamic, isn't it? Yes. So, for example, investor relations for a top 200 company will probably be a full-time job, more than 40 hours per week. They may even know the company so intimately that they may have the responsibility of speaking about that company publicly as well. Whereas the company that I co-founded, The Capital Network, is more of an outsourced investor relations function for companies that are emerging. So they may not have the requirement, the need or even the budget for a full-time investor relations provider. However, they still do require an ongoing service and access to skills. And often these emerging companies may be in their own growth phase. So they're investing in looking for the next gold mine or researching the next cure for cancer and therefore investing heavily into operations and requiring support at varying levels. And they want to tell their story as well, because if they've got a good story to tell and if they've got a good business, investors need to know about it, don't they? Absolutely. And Mm. those examples I explained just outlined with mining and science, two industries that really struggle to share their story simply. They're very well understood by people in the industry. And perhaps if you have a medical degree or perhaps if you're a geologist, you'll understand the complexities of those regulatory announcements. But if you are not trained in those backgrounds, you do need an intermediary to come in and give you suggestions of how you can make your information more accessible to investors and inform them while still being legally compliant. 
Let's talk about the coming intergenerational wealth transfer. What are the numbers and how did this inspire you in terms of the conference that you just put on, which we'll be talking about in a few minutes? There are some huge numbers and I I sort of felt this was coming because I'd read a few titles in news stories and the ASX, of course, released a study last year saying that there is a record amount of women and emerging investors But when I looked into it, I was really shocked at the significance of our emerging investors and thought to myself, we need to do something that is the Capital Network and we need to provide a platform to acknowledge this change and also to celebrate it and also be inclusive of emerging investors who I think often feel left out of the story. So really just a few facts, almost 45 million US households will transfer a total of 68 trillion US dollars in wealth in the next 25 years. And millennials are really going to be the primary beneficiary of this transfer. So by 2050, they're expected to replace the baby boomers as the generation with the greatest wealth. An online share trading platform, NabTrade, says in Australia, millennials will inherit around $3.5 trillion from baby boomers over the next 20 years. And then, of course, when we look at millennials coming into investment, it's also important to understand, well, what is important to millennials? And Morgan Stanley says that 86% of millennials are interested in sustainable investing and twice as likely as the overall population to invest in companies targeting ESG goals. And so when I read that fact, it just became almost a necessity that every company that was presenting in this conference addressed ESG, because I thought we can't have a conference that is talking to millennials and Gen Z without talking about what is clearly important to them in their investment goals and priorities. And so we said to every listed company, if you want to present, you are required to include a focus on the environment, society and governments being, of course, ESG. Okay, let's have a look a bit deeper into the this event. It was called Market Lit. That's the name of the event? That's right. Okay. And uh, tell us how it went, how you put it together and who were the presenters and what was the response like? An incredible response right from the beginning. I was amazed that most people got it straight away after the numbers that I just read out to you. People said, yes, I get it. I want to be a part of it. I was absolutely thrilled that ASIC, Australian Securities and Investments Commission, the Australian government's corporate regulator, secured their speaking spot. ASX came on board. A range of people from different backgrounds. And when I say that, different genders, different investment backgrounds, different time spent investing as well. So we really set out to create an event that focused on diversity, inclusion, and speaking to and educating millennial and Gen Z investors. Also, of course, with that focus on ESG, and we also had four ESG presenters and people from varying backgrounds. So that live streamed on Friday, the 2nd of July, and the live stream is available on TCN TV's YouTube channel, so far has attracted almost 15,000 views and a healthy 250 likes. (laughs) So we were delighted with that response. We had national press coverage multiple times over Again, highlighting the fact this was Australia's first millennial and Gen Z investment conference. And I think if anyone was in doubt that 
that millennials and Gen Z investors are important, they should not be after this conference run. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's interesting. I was chatting with someone from one of the ETF providers last week and she said that investing has become pop culture. <laughs> it's a fantastic way of looking at it, isn't it? it? There is so much on all of the social media channels about investing now that it is a part of pop culture. That's very true. And um, certainly people that are referred to as financial influencers or otherwise financial content creators I think are contributing to this pop culture and the popularity of investing and also, of course, the ease in which people can enter into investing as opposed to, historically speaking, there were many more barriers to entry. But I must say as well that also flags some concerns and we were really grateful once again for ASIC participating in the conference who flagged the concerns and issues that emerging investors also have to be aware of. And what are they? So I think specifically one of the most important factors younger investors need to be aware of is the risk of investing and the importance of knowing the rules and, of course, following the rules. So this is a key reason why we did ask ASIC to present and something they also noted in their presentation with more and more people using social media to communicate about everything from their favourite foods to stocks. It's very important to know the difference between licensed and unlicensed financial information. So even on our live stream event, the title was Market Lit Investment Conference slash not financial advice. (laughs) This is something we wanted to be very, very clear about. And You know, we've all heard the disclaimers, but they are really important to absorb and understand the significance of. So when you hear things like advice by contributors is general in nature and doesn't take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs, this is important to understand that there is a real difference between unlicensed and licensed financial advice. And and that is really what the corporate regulator is there to, to warn and protect us from. And we also, as much as wanting to speak to millennial and Gen Z investors, wanted to have a platform that highlights the importance of being aware of the risks as well. I think part of what's happening these days, and I, I see this with the podcast, and I know that people sort of come to the podcast because they think, oh, okay, I've heard you can make lots and lots of money in the the share market and I will just get some tips and I will go ahead and I'll start making lots of money. But it doesn't work that way, does it? Investing's not like that. I think anyone will tell you whether they are professional or not professional investors that there are as many losses, if not more than wins. But I think in any case, and it really goes for anything that you do in your life, you should conduct your own research and try not to buy the hype because the hype is just that. And as you mentioned earlier, popular culture has glamorized this. And I think it always to an extent has done so with investment, be it the Wolf of Wall Street. I'm sure I was impacted myself by that glamorization. 
but the reality is quite different. And I think if you research, then you protect yourself really from the hype and move more so into a position of reality. And the reality is you've got to understand that it's a long-term compounding thing. You're not going to be making overnight gains. You've just got to be putting your money away and just letting the market do its job. That's exactly right. Yeah. Have you got some highlights from the conference? Wow. Highlights. You know, I suppose for me, the biggest thing was just that this was an Australia first event. Mm -hmm. That's something that made me very, very nervous beforehand, but also makes me feel very proud to have the conviction to see the trend and then to back myself into saying, we are going to host this. So the highlight for me was really doing it for the first time and and getting the positive response that we did, because it really just showed me that this is a vital section and an emerging section of the market that we have to understand and also be inclusive of. And I use that word a lot because I think in the past, there are so many groups that have not been able to access investment or have not felt included in investment. Even myself, I come from a family where my dad controlled all of the money and not in a mean or nasty way. My mum was very happy for him to control it. But when he became sick recently, she had a huge amount of fear that all of her investments, all of her superannuation, all of her financial information and passwords even were in his control. So I think it's an important message for everyone to hear, to empower the community and individuals, women and men, to really take control of their finances. Yep, and really to understand what's going on. I think in the past, financial marketing has always been about, you know, glossy brochures with happy retirees on the cover. And the world of marketing finance is being completely turned on its head at the moment. And this is part of what's going on, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And now we have never had so many ways in which to communicate and market. And I think the entire marketing advertising communications industry is in a state of such rapid evolution. With so many uh, startups as well and fintech startups making so many more opportunities for investing available. Absolutely. And everyone is just clamoring to catch up. So I suppose from my background, working with ASX listed companies, we always just stress the importance of regulation and compliance. Mm -hmm. And it sounds very boring, but not only is it requisite, I think it gives you a really strong platform to, once you're abiding by the rules, to then go out and be creative with the information that has been approved by your legal team and to distribute it in ways that you may not have distributed it before. There are opportunities for listed companies to communicate more than ever and also for investors to access new investments. And I think as long as everyone's playing by the regulatory rules, it's exciting to be part of an industry that is undergoing so much evolution at the moment. I've never done an episode where I won't have to do a disclaimer at the end. (laughs) You've done (laughs) it all for me, Lily. That's right. All throughout the podcast. (laughs) So, um... Not everyone will be benefiting from this wealth transfer. Some families are just not that well off. How can you start with nothing? 
That is a very good question. And it can be very overwhelming to consider what this wealth transfer means. And I very much think of the people impacted by COVID as well. Really, it's been the the less well off. It's not been the, the wealthier recipients. It's been like the working poor, people who are in jobs that don't pay a lot of money. And they're the ones that have been most affected by these lockdowns, let alone what's going on in Africa at the moment. But that's a whole other story. Yeah, absolutely. I think of that a lot. And there is so much excitement put on how the stock market has performed with record amounts of stimulus in the past year. Mm. But that also has had a flip side negative impact on the people that still have to shut their businesses because they can't operate. So I do think about that a lot. And I suppose in response, how you can start with nothing. For that, I would like to quote the Australian Shareholders Association CEO, John Cowling, who spoke with me at the Market Lit Millennial and Gen Z Investment Conference. And John really spoke about the importance of having an investment strategy and getting started today. So I should mention as well, he is a very experienced man who has spent decades working in finance and investing. And he also spoke about how ASA supports millennial and Gen Z investors through membership and education. But his real nugget of wisdom and what he loves to say always is that the way to build wealth is through property or shares. And as property is out of the reach for most young people, he really says that you need to fall back on the alternative, which is the share market. So his plan and strategy is to save $20 per week. And after 25 weeks, he says you will have $500, which is the minimum parcel to invest. And then he says, if you do this every six months, save $20. Then when you get to $500, you invest it. He says, when you get to his age, you will have a million dollar share portfolio. So in his experience, in his view, you can really start with as little as $20 and really breaking it up into those segments that I just outlined and still end up with wealth if you take the long-term view. And of course, these days you don't even need to do individual shares. You can look at ETFs as well to provide you the the broad-based exposure. That's right. There are so many options and I think if you do your research and you find the platforms that work for you, the approaches that work for you, and the risk that you're prepared to take on, because different people absolutely have different risk appetites or capacities. But I think a lot of people can visualize a $20 note, even though we don't even use cash very much. We still know how it looks like. And it's a small number to keep in mind that can have an accumulative compounding positive effect. Yeah. And if you can't start with 20, start with five, just even $5 a week, just getting something away. And of course, there's a plethora of new services that allow you to start with very little money and investing as well these days. Absolutely. Lilda, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not shares for beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.